we've been on chapter 6 for the last few weeks it's been a chapter on dhyana yoga specifically on meditation and thus far krishna has shared with us with arjuna uh, representing all of us how to meditate how to sit the posture where on what and just the little finer aspects of how to keep the mind focused how important concentration is how important the withdrawal and the interiorization of the life forces and then of course all the wonderful things that will come he who has perfectly controlled this and that is going to achieve this and achieves perfection and never again shall any sorrow ever touch him and all the beautiful things that we read everywhere you know it's just the top of the mountain and how amazing it is when you get there but fortunately arjuna understands us and knows that while it's important to know the top of the mountain it's important to be inspired to want to reach there he helps constantly bring it back to where some of us are where he is or at least seemingly is in this <laughs> moment and so he asks krishna simply humbly sweetly arjuna said this is verse 33 oh madhusudan krishna owning to my restlessness i've achieved no lasting results in the attempts you've taught you've taught me to steady the mind verily arjuna continued the mind is restless tumultuous madly stubborn o krishna i consider it to be as difficult to master as the wind now how many of us would say yeah that's my question too you know in a satsang sometimes somebody asks the question half of us are all thinking and this is it it's wonderful and beautiful to say yeah concentration is important you have to learn how to control the mind and of course arjuna comes back to the very simple fact that um i don't know how much progress i'm making as he says i have achieved no lasting results and sometimes we feel that way you know here i am i've been doing this a while and especially in the beginning after a few attempts some people go deep and many of us kind of just are skimming the surface and it feels a lot more effort is involved than relaxation and then he says the mind is restless tumultuous and madly stubborn and that of course we can all attest to and then finally he says i consider it to be as difficult to master as the wind so not only is arjuna asking a very very natural normal uh, gen- general all of us question but in this he also kind of hints really at the way that the mind could be controlled and this is the beauty of scripture in every little even in the question is already the answer and the answer here as our guru says is the esoteric understanding of the wind and the wind here of course is the breath and that's what the ancient yogis realized very very early on in their yogic practices is that the breath is so intricately com- connected to the mind that as long as there's breath till that moment the mind's going to continue to be restless in a certain scripture which i don't remember it says breathlessness is deathlessness and that's what we're trying to achieve and arjuna here saying the mind's difficult to overcome and i feel that it's as difficult as the wind but so for us here's the 
little hint you can say that if we can work with the breath that's how we get to the mind and if you see practically every meditation technique irrespective of what path you are has to do with the breath uh, most of us who practice kriya or even hong so the breath is our anchor and we know that about the breath and our guru shares even on the most simple level everybody recognizes when the breath gets you know restless and when it gets agitated naturally the mind gets agitated when we're upset when we're angry it naturally mirrors that agitation in our breath when we've done physical work where the energy has become very outward and this is the key here the more outwardly engaging the life force becomes whether in mind or in action the breath follows which means the breath needs to constantly reaffirm this is what the breath is in its subtlest level the breath is our dependence on the material world the need to give to the material world through the exhalation that need to receive from the outward physical sustained world in the form of the inhalation and the more the mind or the body engages itself with the world the more the breath has to work to engage it's like okay take and give and take and give and take and give and that's the dualistic process that keeps us very much bound which is another important reason not for us to get too upset too angry too agitated too excited too of anything that gets the breath to a to this state of agitation and then this agitation remains in us lifetime after lifetime even after we've learned some basic yoga even after we've been doing pranayam for a while but that inherent agitation that we've carried with us remains and so in our meditations the most important aspect of any meditation if you're trying to get to the point of what is the object of my meditation beyond am i seeing lights and am i hearing this and am i feeling certain things is what's my breath doing if my breath is close to being still if not completely breathless that's the state of meditation you want to achieve and you'll see in that state naturally the mind is calm naturally the mind is still as long as there is breath and it's just constantly flowing the mind's going to continue to vacillate again in and out through the world connecting to the world and so focusing on the breath becomes a key way for us to relate even i don't know if you remember i believe there was a few um stanzas before yeah the 19th stanza in the same chapter was a candle flame burns steadily protected from the wind again over there was this that the candle flame of our own consciousness of our own mind mm. needs to be protected from that constant restlessness of the breath and so in your own meditation practice use that as a very solid reference no matter what you do our kriya practice itself is using the breath in a very specific way so that then when we get into the spiritual life we can enter into that state of breathlessness and that's most true meditation practices ought to be guiding us in that direction <clears throat> krishna responds o mighty armed arjuna the mind is undoubtedly fickle and unruly so this is another beautiful thing is this acceptance of what the mind really is 
it's a fallacy for us to think that the mind has to somehow be so perfectly still. In fact, it's kind of the nature of the mind. And it's a nature that we've uh, put into motion and we've fed for far too long to suddenly assume that now in my meditation I ought to gain perfect control. So the mind is undoubtedly fickle and unruly, but it can be controlled by yoga practice and by the exercise of mental dispassion. So two things here, yoga practice, which is specific techniques, and of course, mental dispassion, which is vairagya, which is the constantly disassociating from the mind, which is not essentially, which is not trying to think about disassociating from the mind, but it is not giving into any thought that comes, any sensation. The problem is the thought comes and we think about it, we follow it, and then we're lost. A sensation comes, we try to identify with it, and then we get caught up in it. Whether it's physical pain, whether it's the physical restlessness, whether it's mental restlessness, whatever it is, there has to be this certain sense of mental distancing from this process, a detachment to whatever you are experiencing in meditation. And that is why, again, the breath becomes such a central core because it gives us something. It's hard for the mind to detach from something with having nothing else, in a sense, to attach to. And so the breath creates that reality for us. I love the word here, yoga practice. The very word practice means that it's not perfect. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just practicing. When somebody says, I'm just practicing, it means that I'm just trying this. You know, when, when we do a practice round of anything, uh, Narayani and I were at a, you know, in a holiday uh, for the last 10 days. And uh, one thing we did throughout that was played a lot of ping pong table tennis. And so when we first come, you know, okay, just a few practice shots. Those practice shots tend to be very easy and relaxed. And the moment you say, okay, now this is serious, this is real. A little tension sets in and a little expectation sets in and um, pressure sets in of I have to do good and you know I have to hit every ball and sometimes even in our own meditations that same thing tends to happen and I like to think about the very fact that it's called yoga practice our spiritual practices is also to think of it as you know if it's a practice it's I've not yet achieved perfection if I had achieved perfection I don't need any of this it's a practice so in practice, there's relaxation. There's like, let me, practice is about honing our skills, right? Practice is about getting into the flow. Practice is about loosening up. And that's what we need to think about our own practices about. It's a practice round with God. Chalo God, let's play a practice round of meditation. And naturally, joy, relaxation, fun sets in rather than this overt serious lesson competition oh, I'm going to, the comp <laughs> competing <laughs> and i need to win this point this point i have to win and oh, i didn't make it this time oh my breath is still flowing and so you know learn to have fun with it because everything krishna is saying here is like oh yeah it's normal mind's undoubtedly fickle but through yoga practice which means there's technique even in the practice of table tennis our practice was not like you know, just hitting the ball far away or just not paying attention. It was, ah, let's do, let's have a little fun before we get serious. And so if we can think of our spiritual journey also as, oh, every time, oh, this is a practice round. 
it just sets a lot of relaxation which is a key aspect also for concentration because as long as there is tension some part of your life force and your energy gets stuck in that tension cannot flow freely and without that perfect concentration cannot happen relaxation is highly vital to concentration this is verse 36 here is my promise krishna's promise to us yoga though difficult for the ungoverned mind to attain can be reached through proper methods if one strives earnestly to achieve self-control again just beautiful words the striving as long as you strive earnestly that's the whole point of having krishna is that there's another guy here looking out for us you know krishna is not just here's the technique you know but don't ask me anymore but i gave you a technique you know what more do you want here's some money go buy what you want you know what he's there but as that chant said i want only the i want only the the truth is yeah, we don't really want only you. <laughs> only <know>? sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it suits my needs, I do really want only you. As long as you solve the problem that I'm facing, and as long as it leads to greater prosperity and complete health, and you know, my ability to manifest whatever I want, and use visualization to manifest my dreams. I mean, it's so easy to use the spiritual path as another means to just fulfill our desires, which is at least an elevated way to do it. But uh, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, we don't only want Krishna. But we do only want Krishna. And that voice is still a whisper. And part of our practices is to give strength to that voice. Little by little you get to the point where I want only thee becomes a reality. And the moment that happens, that doesn't happen when we're perfect. That happens as a growing crescendo. And the moment the sound of I want only thee truly resonates with every heart string, that's when Krishna just poop, done. So the striving of, earnest striving to achieve self-control. This is important, to achieve self-control. For most of us, we don't want to achieve self-control. We want him to pick up the tab we want everything to be easy self-control is hard why should i control myself and my desires you know why have you given them in the first place if not to indulge them is some people's <laughs> obvious question like why does the you know sex desire already exist and isn't it already in nature that for the promulgation of the species therefore well okay try that <laughs> see how far you get so the striving and the earnestness that sincerity really is what they're looking for but that in earnestness and sincerity is not just of the mind the only way that sincerity and earnestness is demonstrated is through yoga practice and as he says it can be reached through proper methods there is methodology to it and all that's needed is the deep desire a sincere desire to want to achieve self-control i do want to be a master of myself i'm not just looking for a free ride here then it works if you're looking for a free ride it's not going to work arjuna said arjuna is not convinced and i'm certain we're not convinced too oh krishna what happens to one who is unsuccessful in yoga practice who tries devotedly to meditate 
but finds himself unable to bring his mind under control. Isn't that our question? <laughs> what happens if we fail? What if happens, you know, here I am, we're gonna, we're trying our best, but I don't think I'm getting anywhere in particular, what's going to happen to me? And the next stanza continues that question. Does he not become like a riven cloud, scattered and dispersed, unable to find Brahman, and equally unable to return to the delusory world he rejected? Please release me permanently, O Krishna, from these doubts. Who else but you can banish my uncertainty? A very interesting question. <clears throat> A, what happens to us if we're unsuccessful? We're pursuing yoga, we've got the goal of God union. And here unsuccessful also means in terms of, well, life you know, came to an end and we haven't achieved our final goal. And also unsuccessful in the entire process where we find ourselves where neither our spiritual path is working that well and we've kind of already stepped away from the world and now to re return back it's like we're in this limbo where neither of the two worlds are really giving us what we want we can't fully go back to the world we still have spiritual inclinations a part of our heart still yearns for something more and we're not really giving ourselves fully to the spiritual journey as well. So naturally, it's kind of lukewarm and the results that we're receiving aren't satisfactory either. What happens to such people? Our guru explains, uh, especially with these stanzas, that there are three kinds of, or maybe four kinds of yogis and processes that we engage in. You've got the first kind who start the spiritual journey, soon on realize it's far too much work, and aren't they're not receiving what they, they haven't had samadhi yet you know so they pretty much very soon return back to the world in the early days of ananda there were many such people you know when swamiji was creating the spiritual movement called ananda how we're going to live for yogananda's teachings live in community in a spiritual community a lot of people enthusiastically joined but within the first couple of years, many left and returned back to their jobs, back to the life, to the world. And somebody asked Swamiji, like, Swami, how is it? I mean, how could you have such a deep desire? I mean, nobody would just say, yes, let me go find God and then in a couple of years or whatever, even 10 years sometimes. I mean, surprisingly, it's not that it happens in the beginning. It can happen anytime. People decide that they just want to return back to how they used to live. And Swami said, you know that, um, well, their spiritual karma has run out, which essentially means that sometime in a past life, we generated that desire for God came, we did something about it, we accumulated a certain amount of spiritual karma. And in this life, the karma was all we had that lifted us up, but we did not add to it through our zeal, through our sincerity, through our giving of it all. And then once the karma finished, the worldly karma rises back and draws us away away and there are several people like this who we know who probably you know and people who will continue to grace the spiritual path then there is another kind of a group and this is perhaps in a certain sense the majority where you start off really strong and then little by little by little our enthusiasm our <laughs> excitement our willingness it starts to wane we're we're not we know that the world isn't for us 
we know that our spiritual pursuit is is very important to us but because we're not again it's it's a lot we we put too much into what am i receiving from this you know is it meeting my standards you know yogananda said in the autobiography that when he was eight you know 14 he had samadhi so what's happening to me and little by little by little we get discouraged really is what happens we're not we, we don't want to leave the path but we get discouraged and um, arjuna is talking about that kind you know that's like I'm unable to keep my my mind's not really fully under my control. Uh, enough desires still exist. I'm still kind of drawn to certain aspects of the world. Yet here, this is what I want. And you've got that kind of people, and the energy keeps waning until uh, our guru says, when death comes, at that moment the worldly karma tends to be stronger because the magnetism has not been developed, and you kind of then get born or drawn in your next life to a more worldly pursuit until whatever it was that needs to be resolved has been resolved before you can come back again and then you've got of course the one that is very much gung-ho from the beginning and stays and maintains that energy that enthusiasm maintains the clarity of why i'm doing this and what my final goal is not easily confused by the other things the spiritual path can give you and using it to in fact fulfill certain desires and when he reaches the end of the goal uh, our guru says that he goes to these beautiful astral worlds and in those astral worlds he spends long periods of time before he comes back again and he says and the memory of those astral worlds very high vibrations stay with them when they come and they are the ones who then will come early on to the spiritual path or be born in certain families and the memory of the astral world remains so strongly in them that they know this world is not theirs and they just i don't belong to this they're not attracted too much they're not easily engaged by much and very very quickly begin to search for the way out and with all those ways that we can approach the spiritual path of course krishna then says oh blessed the blessed lord answered oh arjuna my son one who performs right actions can never be destroyed whether in this world or the next his fate will never be evil which also means that no matter what effort we put right now it's only going to manifest we're going to pick it up exactly from where we left off a fallen but sincere yogi gains entry after death into the world of the virtuous he may remain there for many years afterward he is reborn on earth into a good and prosperous home and i think a lot of us kind of fall in that category we're fallen yogis not fallen from the perspective of you know we, we didn't give up that's very very important so many people give up and not give up outwardly they want to still say i'm spiritual somehow that's important to them but they've given up inwardly they're just not trying yeah they're just skating by just you know and oftentimes even within spiritual communities in ashrams you'll see there are certain people they're just there it's like but they're there they've not given up which is a which is in itself no not an easy thing to achieve 
you know because the world is very strong but somewhere in you there's there's not enough magnetism in the world even to pull you out completely and for those such people we get to go and experience the higher states of possibilities that the astral world offers and then are able to come and recall those potentialities and possibilities thereby our relationship to the world weakens even more and we naturally are already and such people which is an interesting thing to see of course it's never by rule but such people end up in good and prosperous homes which is another interesting thing for us to see is because being in good prosperous and prosperous here naturally doesn't mean wealthy in any way necessarily but is that it's almost a test that given the comforts of the world still wanting to say you know what this doesn't do it that's important that's the strength that's needed if the world's already rejected you there's no other possibility and again you see a lot of those so called sadhus or you see sometimes people even in ashrams and and such there's like nothing else is really working out for them and this is almost an escape from the difficulties or the energy that they'd have to put out in the real world then he says on the other hand and this of course he's talking about the yogi who does not only doesn't give up but does not lose does not take his foot off the accelerator but he hasn't yet achieved complete liberation on the other hand he may reincarnate on earth in a family of enlightened yogis such a birth in this world however is difficult to attain <laughs> our guru says it's difficult to attain not only because you know you you need this very specific karma to be born but also he says because most enlightened yogis don't get married and have kids <laughs> so even to find a family where you've got enlightened yogis willing to have children then okay you can make it through but um, uh, he also makes the distinction when you're that close and your energy has not at all waned he says at that stage the soul doesn't even want to spend any time in the astral world and tends to go there and immediately wants to reincarnate but the previous level which is where many of us tend to be where the energy does tend to drop a little bit as the years wane on depending on whether we feel encouraged or discouraged and the environment, environment that we hold yeah. which is also very important um they like to spend more time in the astral world so it's keep it's like a, we have to keep remind we have to strengthen ourselves more so that when we come because the energy dropped uh, there's a good chance that maya could still pick us up so you know we're like <laughs> let's first like seep ourselves in the good stuff in his new family this is talking about both whether the enlightened family or the family a good family where we are born as yogis he recovers his yogic discrimination he attained formally so it's right there uh, the the obscurity that maya tends to place on uh, on the soul is already thin enough that that yogic discrimination remains very clear and present and he sets himself with ever greater zeal to achieve that final spiritual liberation and many of us are there right now we're back it's like all right this time we're going to do it let's start a little early or whatever the circumstances allowed us to do uh, it doesn't matter really the age but it's like okay karma is over whatever i needed to do i did now let me set myself once again on that path we keep building up 
and that good yeah, karma. Yeah, and not just use <laughs> the good karma. Very important. The power of former, former yoga practice is sufficient to impel, as it were, the reborn yogi on his upward path. And so it's so lovely to know that everything we're doing now or everything, in fact, everything we're doing now is because we've done it before. And that power alone often sustains us in times even when we are discouraged, in times when it's not working out so well, in times when astrologically the planets are having a little bit of a you know moment with us. That's when this past energy that we've put out, both in this life and previous lives, that's what's holding us in that upward journey. So we must be very, very grateful both to it and also that we get an opportunity now, whenever we can, to keep building, not just using, like a bank, not just taking out of your savings again and again, but also constantly putting back in. Even one, and I love this line, even one who seeks only a theoretical understanding of yoga is more highly advanced than one who is dedicated to outward spiritual, scriptural Vedic rites. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. Yeah. Even one who seeks only a theoretical understanding of yoga. Just, I just want to know. Oh, wow. That's I just cool. want to read. I just want to hear what Krishna is talking about. I just about. found these on the... <laughs> In a newspaper article. <laughs> Speaking tree. You know, even those of us who are just... Oh, you know, I, I'm enjoying just listening and knowing and being able to speak about it. Even they are more highly advanced than one who is dedicated. <laughs> Here's like a theoretical understanding of yoga. On the other hand, dedicated to outward scriptural and Vedic rituals. Isn't that amazing? Because the very seed that says, because yoga here doesn't mean Hatha Yoga or, you know, even meditation truly. Yoga means union. Even if you're interested to want to merge into God. Just, I just want to know what that would mean. I just want to know how people have done it. I just want to read about it or hear about it. Even that is at such a high level than just the pujas that we might do, the rituals, the you know basic superstitious sometimes understandings that are founded on some truth but are being done mechanically and in most cases are being done out either out of fear or out of desire. You know, I need to go and do this because then Shiva is going to give me this and then Hanuman will give me that on certain, certain dates. And you know, the aratis need to happen every morning. I have to light that little thing every day. And if that's our only thing, and many people we know are very dedicated and disciplined in that, but they want nothing higher. They're not looking to completely transmute egoic identity. They're very much comfortable in ego identity but then you start to say i want more and even that wanting more whether you practice it or not is higher than just outward ritual so that's an important again it's it's helpful to know that there's a lot of power and good karma from the past that is propelling each of us and it behooves us to use it to the best of our abilities Diligently following his chosen path, 
and cleansing himself thereby of all karmic debts or sin, the yogi after many births attains perfection and enters at last into the supreme beatitude. Again, important word, many births. The yogi after many births. Not only after many births, but after many births of diligently following his chosen path and cleansing himself thereby of all sin and karmic death. So Krishna is also kind of telling Arjuna, relax. You know, I know you feel you're not where you need to be, but this is going to take time. Here, however, Lahiri Mahashaya gave a more esoteric meaning, especially not a meaning, but uh, you can say a shortcut, <laughs> a hidden <laughs> pathway, which is in which he talks about what many births can also mean. If we successfully are, again, through our daily practices, through sincere, diligent, you know, giving of ourselves to what our Guru has said, if we're able to achieve breathlessness in our meditations, every time you achieve breathlessness and then come out of the meditation and take your first inhalation, the breathlessness will come when it'll and there'll be an exhalation and then that's it. All the other breath will be drawn out of you, just like in death that happens in meditation the next inhalation you take after that which is a good period not the 30 you know three second ones that we sometimes feel in hongsa he says that becomes naturally uh, a next birth and that way a yogi in one lifetime can actually live many lives and work on karma you know that all those lives would otherwise take so that's again uh, an encouragement for all of us to want to get our meditations right. You know, not just I want to sit and I want to have something. I want to get to that still. That breathlessness is really up to us. Perfect concentration, complete stillness, and a desire to interiorize the mind so that every time a thought comes, there's not even a draw in that direction. That's what leads to breathlessness. And of course, with devotion to the Supreme Lord, because you need to know why it is that you're doing this and not because you know it'll make me more disciplined or my mind will be sharper it's because i want to merge into god and that's going to bring breathlessness and that's going to bring many incarnations in this incarnation alone the yogi is greater than those ascetics who strive for spiritual perfection through discipline of the body Greater even than those who follow the path of wisdom, which is Jnana Yoga, or of action, which is Karma Yoga, become, O Arjuna, a yogi. And so this is again, the other ways, you know, it's like, oh, I want to get perfect in yoga and look at me, I can do whatever asana, you know, <laughs> where my head goes here and my legs go there. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. But that's not going, that, that's not the perfection we seek. And neither is it a mental perfection through constant discrimination. And neither is it an outward action-based perfection. Even through karma yoga, even if you can get just in attunement with your dharma, everybody's like, what's my purpose if I can only fulfill my purpose in life? Hey, it'll be nice. You know, it'll put you in alignment. But be thou a yogi, O Arjuna. Because all these other ways are indirect means to achieve the same state but we're not working with the one thing that we need to work with, and that is our prana, which is our life force. In meditation, the true dhyana yoga 
is when you're working directly with life force, nothing else. Even while you're watching the breath, even while your attention is here, what you're working on is with life force. When breath stops, the astral breath stops. These are the ways that the physical body dying, we birth within our meditation, we take birth in the astral realm. Then the astral breath stops when the life force goes completely into the Shushumna and we die astrally in that meditation. We're born in the causal world. All that's taking place inside our meditation. We don't have to go through this entire life, die and then go there and then again get caught up in the astral world. Our Guru said it's harder in the astral world because everything works. Everything's beautiful. It's hard for the yogi to want to make spiritual advancement there. That is why they're eager to come here. Here you can see Maya doesn't work. I need to get out. But you don't want to just finish this karma only to have go into an astral world and now work that out. That's why in meditation we can work it all out. And that needs to be our, this is what I want. And finally, verse 47, which brings this beautiful chapter to an end. He who with he who, full of faith and love, becomes fully absorbed in me, I regard as best attuned to my path of perfection. I love that. My path of perfection. Krishna's mm. path is the path of perfection. Not a path of chalta hai. Not a path of half, you know, I'll half asset. Or I'll put just enough energy so that it works. It's the path of perfection. And to be perfect in Him means to be completely absorbed in him and you won't be absorbed you can try yeah let's do japa let's do this let's do that you won't know what absorption means until you've absorbed in him in your consciousness which again comes through meditation it comes otherwise as well when you see these saints you see chaitanya mahaprabhu you see others who they sing god's name and instantly go into this ecstatic state well they didn't just start there See, you don't know what all they have done. You don't know the amount of yogic practice they've already put into motion where now it takes very little. Ramakrishna Paramahans, he saw, uh, when he was a child, he saw a flock of, I think, cranes or something flying. And the beauty and the grace of the way they were flying took him into his first state of samadhi. Now, we're not there. <laughs> we're not there yet. But what... What triggers us is not the solution. The solution is not like, let's all look up and when will we find that beautiful flock of crane, then we'll achieve samadhi. That's not what's happening. What they've done to bring them to the point, that's what we have to focus on. And what they're asking of us to do daily, that's what we have to focus on. I was thinking, just talking about so much uh, the breath and the power and the association that has with the mind. For many of you who have learned the Hongso technique, the beauty of it is that at some point, eventually with practice, we start having little taste or glimpses of those breathless, mm, breathlessness state where there is no movement, where you touch a little bit of that stillness where there is no breath involved. And I was thinking, we try to magnetize that moment in our meditations, 
But what about if we start practicing those moments of breathlessness in the middle of the activity? And just right now, I experimented with myself. <laughs> you weren't paying attention to me. <laughs> no, I was actually, <laughs> because I wanted to share this. I hold my breath for 10 seconds while he was talking throughout the class. I did that several times and I could see the moment I hold, my, I held my breath, suddenly my awareness shifted. I became more, almost the energy instantly withdraws and it goes inside only by holding the breath. So I'm going to propose this as a homework throughout the week. Start throughout the day, several times a day, while performing your activities, while listening to someone, while working. Hold your breath for as long as you feel comfortable and keep training yourself and experience what it means to be in that perfect dispassionate state where you are in the middle of the activity, you are at the heart of Maya, and yet you are not touched by it. Your energy remains centered and withdraw and not that entangled in what's happening around you. So number one, Try to hold your breath several times, five to a count of five, six, ten, twenty, if you can. Make it comfortable and make sure no one is noticing that you are. <laughs> you know, just just make it relaxed. You know, be a princess, a king, who is in control of himself while you are experimenting and practicing yoga at the office, at home, with your kids, as much as you can, okay? So try that and let us know. The other point I wanted to bring out is association. Who you are associated with. That will support our spiritual efforts and making sure that we are associating with those spiritual friends and people that not only talk about yoga, not only study and not only listen. Are, eh? listen. listen to talks on yoga, but those who are living it constantly. Start identifying those people who are deeply committed to the spiritual path, to improve themselves, and to constantly bring it out themselves from their comfort zone. Those are the people we need to be associated with because that will keep encouraging us to move forward on the spiritual path. So this week we have two actually homeworks work on the breath as i explained before <clears throat> and start choosing your environment and associate be with listen more to 
uh, study more, watch more what those people do. And, and I think that will help us tremendously to always remind ourselves that, you know what, I'm not interested about any of this. I want only Krishna, I want only the divine, and I, will, I want only to really achieve my highest potential in this lifetime as much as I can.